everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian. And let's welcome Lindsay Lipscomb who is here uh, helping out this morning as Amy and Jay. See that? You get a warm welcome here at Lake Oconee. So we're grateful that Lindsay is with us this morning and I believe next week at all as well. And uh, as Amy's off on, what does she call this, her bucket list trip, and she's off doing that, and we pray for their safety and enjoying themselves as well. And we want to welcome you all, whether you are in person or on the live stream to worship this morning, and if you're visiting, we offer a warm welcome to you. We hope you grabbed a visitor's bag, gave, us a little, gave you a little information about us, and we would love to get to know you. One of the ways we do that, whether you're visiting or a longtime member or friend or attender, there are friendship pads at the end of your aisle. So if you're at the end of the aisle, get it started, pass it down to your friend. We would love for everyone to sign in and let us know that you're here. And I would be remiss if I didn't wish my fellow dads a happy Father's Day. And so we're grateful for all of you, dads, granddads, great-granddads, and I'm well aware that this can be uh, a tender day for many. We all have different stories, and different stories of uh, our own fathers. I know for me, this is, uh, it, you know, it's a good day, but it's a hard day at the same time. This is uh, my first Father's Day without my earthly father, who went home to be with the Lord back in January. And so I would uh, be remiss if I didn't say I'm thinking about him in a very special way. And so we all have different stories. One of the things I'm reminded of in one of my favorite passages of Scripture comes out of 1 John chapter 3. We actually looked at it in our adult education class this morning, where if you're a believer in Christ, what is said about you, it says, see what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So I am most, most grateful for our Heavenly Father, that we're adopted into His family, and what security that brings us. Several different announcements of things going on in the life of the church. In the life of the church. Uh, tomorrow, myself, along with George and Barb Roundtree, Evie and Russ and Jan Murray, we will be heading off to Birmingham for our denomination's general assembly. So we'll be gathering with 2,300 Presbyterians. Doesn't that sound like a party right there? What do 2,300 Presbyterians in one place at one time do? Well, pray for us as we are... Uh, doing the church's business, and then after that, and it is not by accident, Evie and I will be on vacation for a couple of weeks. See, I go from General Assembly to right after that I need a break. 
And so we will be on vacation. Joe King will be preaching on the 26th and the 3rd of July. And my good friend Jason Cornwell, who is a PCA church planner of North Augusta Fellowship, will be preaching on July 10th. And then I will be back in the office on Tuesday, July 12th, hopefully rested, hopefully going to a place with 2,300 people COVID-free, and hopefully raring to go. So we're excited about that. Uh, officer nominations for two more Sundays. So it, get a nomination form if you need that. And... Go for that. That's today and next Sunday. Very important. We are still taking sign-ups for the patriotic picnic. Brent Johansson said we had like, Brent, am I right, 60 people signed up? He's shaking his head no. He's waving high. I don't know what that means. <laughs> How many? 105. That's more like it. 105. Let's try to beat the Easter brunch where we had 125. What do you say? Invite friends. All of these things are great opportunities for us to invite friends to do that. And one other note, we need about seven or eight volunteers to help serve the food that's provided for our guests. If you are interested in doing that, I would encourage you to contact Chelsea Johnson. She is a part of the fellowship team and do that. And we would love to have your help helping to serve that food. One other note is that we are getting ready in the fall to start up ESL. That's English as a Second Language. If you are interested in helping out in any way with that, please see Russell Puppy or call the church office. So those are some of the things that are going on in the life of the church. And so now as the prelude is played, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
a call to worship. Come, Christians, join to sing. Alleluia, amen. Our call to worship is from Psalm 149, verses 1 to 2. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Lord God, may we as your children come into your assembly, into your house to sing your praises, to shout for joy to God with all the earth. We invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us that we may glorify you, lift you up, and exalt your holy name. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and do just that. Come, Christians, join to sing as we sing hymn number two, O Worship the King. Our need of confession this morning comes from the wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23. And it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, 
for from it flow the springs of life. Isn't it interesting there that, in a sense, we get a doctrine of man, a divine psychology, if you would, that what we're told is to guard or keep or take care of our hearts because from the inside out versus the outside in flow all the issues of life, our attitudes, our comportment, our disposition. From the heart flow the springs, the issue of life. And so as we confess our sins personally to the Lord, I encourage you to look at your heart. Look at the areas where maybe you self-protect yourself or hold others in contempt or struggle with bitterness or resentment because it's from that, from the heart, come all of the various issues of life. Take a few moments to engage with the Lord, knowing that with Jesus Christ, there is an abundance of grace. There is, there is no sin that's so great that it can't be covered by the grace of Christ. Then in a few moments, we will pray our corporate confession of sin together. Let us pray. Friends, let us pray together. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age, the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves and the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord, forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And friends, receive in Christ the assurance of pardon. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Friends, if you've confessed your sins and trusted in Christ, your Savior. The promise from the scriptures is you will obtain mercy. God's heart is drawn to you and attracted to yours. Friends, let's stand and continue to sing, singing, Great is the Lord. Is love. Great is the Lord. 
One of the ways that God reveals his greatness is not only his power, but his tenderness. That as our loving Heavenly Father, he loves to hear from his children. He loves when we cry out, Abba, Father, when we come before him, abandoning all self-reliance and self-dependence and pour out our hearts, our needs before him in prayer. So let us go to the Lord in a time of communion and a time of prayer, praying together the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in a pastoral prayer. Friends, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Father, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you are set apart, and we set you apart in our hearts, exalting and praising you this morning, thanking you that you are the creator of all things, the maker of all things, both visible and invisible. Your name is exalted. You are worthy. You are to be praised. And yet, as our Father, you know us, you hear us, you see us, and so you see when we're hurting you see when we're suffering. You see our losses and our pain, our laments and our grieving. And you hear and you care and you come near to us. You have given us the Lord Jesus Christ to be Emmanuel, God with us, whose presence comforts us, strengthens us, enables us even to fall apart in his arms. So, Father, we thank you that you are a tender as well as a powerful God, a merciful as well as a great God. We praise you for your goodness. We thank you that you take care of us, that you train us. We thank you even for your discipline, that you are conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. We ask for all who are hurting that you would strengthen the weak, that you would comfort those who are in need of comfort, that you would bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. Lord, we ask that you would be with all who are suffering affliction. Lord, we do also ask that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. May we be a grace-filled, 
community. And Lord, as you are holy, may we grow in holiness, being delivered from not only evil, but the evil one who is the author of all evil. We pray, Father, that in all that we do, we would seek your glory above all things, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. And so we pray to glorify and magnify you in everything that we do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amy had asked us to, to share a song and thought it was very appropriate with Jeff's message this morning, the missional church. That's uh, going to be our focus going forward. And this song speaks about that. It's a, one that's been meaningful to me throughout my life. But touch your people once again. There's a, a need of a fresh touch of God's spirit uh, who indwells us and giving us that power to make a difference for him.
Jan, thank you so much for that. I think that was the prayer for, as we go into God's word right now, that he would renew us and revive us and give us a fresh fresh touch of his presence, his power, his purpose, his wisdom. I know I need that. How about you all? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you give us your word, which is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So I thank you that today's sermon does not depend upon me at all, but it's an offering to you. We give it to you, Jesus, and pray that you apply your word to your people's hearts, that you will work in us, transform us, change us. Thank you that your grace is a transforming power, and I pray for your grace to be poured out in abundance upon Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church right now. I ask, Father, this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what are we doing? I'm going to introduce something uh, new, a new, I'm going to introduce a new series, I throw it out there and then I go away for three weeks. How does that sound? Uh, that's the way the calendar kind of fell in terms of this. So guess what, I'm introducing something and you'll get a lot of review when I come back in July. But we are doing a series that I am titling, Why the Church? In other words, why does God, why did he choose, why does he sovereignly have this treasured possession, this people that he calls his body, that he calls his bride. Why, it, why do we exist in the world today? Now, yes, our chief calling might be to worship. So we gather here, we're a gathered body to worship him, and God is glorified in our worship. He's pleased in our worship, pleased in our worship. But recognize this, God doesn't need our worship. God is not selfish. He is completely self-sufficient, he is completely eternal, he is completely self-existent. So he created everything to share his, his love. And so why the church? There's a popular term today, Russ kind of referred to it a little bit, and it's called the missional church. Now I love this, in preparing this week I stumbled upon this quote by a man by the name of Chris Wright, and he says, the Vogue phrase missional church is kind of virtually a needless repetition. He says, what other kind of church is there? He says, talk about missional church sounds to me like talking about female women. If it's not missional, it's not church. Now, Jesus, just before his ascension, the resurrected Jesus appeared before his disciples and he gave them a commission, a mandate as he was going to leave physically and go to heaven and send out his spirit to be with them, the spirit of Jesus to empower them, he gave them a commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We refer to this as the Great Commission. Now, the Old Testament people of God, the forerunner of the church, Israel, also had a commission, a vocation to be missional, to be a light to the nations. Where does it come from? How does it originate? To see that, we have to look at the Old Testament character, Abraham. And that's what we're going to do. That's how I'm introducing this this morning. 
we are going to look at the Old Testament's Great Commission and the missional call of Abraham that is found in the book of Genesis. And so if you have Bibles, if not, I think it's printed on your handout. There's an insert in your bulletin, or we have iPads and iPhones and all that. See, we can be very technologically savvy around here. But I want to read for us. It's, we're going to focus on Genesis 12, 1 to 3. That's the heart of the call. But I want us to know the narrative and hear the story. And so it's a little bit of a longer narrative, so bear with me. Genesis chapter 11, beginning at verse 27, down to chapter 12, verse 9. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and, Ter and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Okay, in my favorite novel, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee, who happens to be my favorite character, by the way, in The Lord of the Rings. He's Frodo's best friend. And he says to Frodo, I wonder what sort of tale we have fallen into. And later he continues, and we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folks seem to have just 
been landed in them, usually. Their paths laid that way, as you put it. So Sam says, I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. And Frodo responds, I wonder, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Dan Allender, in his book, To Be Told, says that's an accurate description of life. God is a master storyteller. He is constantly writing our story. But he doesn't send us the next chapter to read in advance. Instead, we all read backward, finding the meaning of our stories as we read what God has already written. Life is a story that unfolds in such a way that we can't see very far ahead. Can you imagine if Abraham saw ahead what was going to happen? Do you think if he ever would have gone, left his family, left his familiar surroundings? Allender continues, he says, everyone, every single one of us has a story. Everyone's life is a story, but many people don't know how to read their life in a way that reveals their story. They miss the deeper meaning in their life, and they have little sense of how God has written their story to reveal himself and his own story. God is a master storyteller. In fact, his word, the Bible, is both a revelation of God himself and of God's story, the gospel. And God, have you ever noticed God loves to tell his story? In fact, evangelism and discipleship is described by Allender as fully exploring, fully enjoying, and fully, fully capturing the power of the great story, the gospel, and then inviting others to immerse themselves in that great story. Now, we've been given a commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. That means making disciples involves for us being in love with, being gripped by, being captured by the story of God in the Bible, and then inviting others to find their place in the story of God. I love the fact that Russ and Jan sang that song because to go and make disciples means you need to have that fresh touch of God. You need to have that fresh touch of his love, of his wisdom, of his power. We need to immerse ourselves in the story of God so that we can then invite others to do so, to bring God's story to our community. So this morning, we're going to begin our story with the call that's given to Israel's forefather, Abram. In the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, which is Babylon, or modern-day Iraq. Genesis 12, though, we have to recognize is not the beginning of Abram's story. It's only the beginning of his experience of his story and how it fits into God's larger story. If you read the whole of the book of Genesis, Abram's story begins with Shem, one of the sons of Noah who survived the great flood. Genesis chapter 9 tells us that of all the sons of Noah, Shem was going to be the one who would be blessed. In other words, the Messiah would come out of this family. The messianic lineage would come out of the family of Shem. Shem would become the father of Terah, and Terah, we learn here in verse 27, is the father of Abram. So we learn right away that Abram comes out of a very special family. 
So we're looking at today, we're beginning today, Abram's experience of the story of God. And it begins with his call. It begins with his missional call. What do we learn of this missional call? We're going to learn three things. I want us to take a look at the context of the call. Every single one of our stories has a context. We come from families. We live in time. We live in a place. We're in a situation. There are characters and players in our story. There were characters and players in Abram's story. Then we're going to look at the content of his call. And finally, where it's all going, the character of his call. The context of Abram's call begins in verse 31, when we read, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. See, Abraham's story involves characters, and it's part of what they call the account or the generations. The Hebrew is the toledot of Terah. He is a part of his family. So he's there with his father, his wife, his relatives. Together they left their homeland, Ur, part of Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and they went out towards Canaan. And while there, Abram receives his call from God. Verse 1 reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now let's explore this here for a few minutes. The two key words here are leave and go. Leave your people. Leave your family. Leave your familiar surroundings and go. Can you imagine? Imagine just being Abram for a second. Okay, God, go where? I'll show you. Just set out. Are the people nice there? What's the neighborhood like? Will I have plenty of places to shop? How will it be for my kids going to school? What is... Relax, Abram. I'll show you when you get there. How would you deal with that? This story from beginning to end reeks from comfort to discomfort, from the known to the unknown. One commentator put it this way. He says, this is a summons to a series of separations his Mesopotamian background, his family, his clan, his heritage. The call was to abandon all natural connections, to surrender all social customs and traditions, to leave land, clan, and family. These were the very areas of strong attachment which in the ancient world would have been thought to provide ultimate personal security. Is it any wonder the book of Hebrews calls Abraham an exemplar of faith? Look at what he's being called to here. Allegiance to God. Above all things. Not to family. Not to nation. Not to country. Not to heritage. Not to background. Your first allegiance is to God. That's the first point of the Great Commission. We have to be immersed in that. We have to think seriously about Jesus' words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's not being called to not love his family. He's called to not be attached to them in the same way. How much do you think Abraham understood of this call? 
Leave everything that's comfortable and go where? What will life be like there? See, this is one thing, and this is why I think many churches, and I don't want us to be like this, but many churches struggle with the missional call because the call of God is dangerous and risky. And I think inherently we know that. Reach out to people? That doesn't sound comfortable. Do this new venture? That sounds a little risky. I don't feel too in control. Good, you're not. We're not in control, but it's always life-giving. So what is God's story in the context of this call to Abraham? He calls and commissions Abraham as a response to the curse of Babel. Genesis 11, we read of the account of Babel. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. We need to see that the Lord's call of Abram is God's response to this episode. See, in this episode, the people are building a city with a tower that reached to the heavens. Their attempt to build a society, a city, a kingdom without God. Man being his own sovereign, existing for himself. And what is God's response to Babel? He comes down in judgment. The word Babel means confused. God confuses their language. And the consequences, the results of Babel are still with us today. Racial divisions, social divisions, cultural divisions, class divisions, linguistic divisions, economic and geographical barriers, the impossibility of human cooperation. Abram's call is in the midst of this context. It was God's response to his judgment. This is God's story. God was still not giving up on humanity. God was still intending to redeem. A story of reversing the curse. Abram's commission and call is in that context. Next, the content of the call. Verse 2 of chapter 12. And notice three things here. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Three things make up the content of this call. Great nation, blessing, and great name. The first great nation is that of a... The first great promise, excuse me, is that of a great nation. One of the things we have to recognize, and this is such an important application. God's salvation has much more in mind than just the individual. Yes, we're obviously saved as individuals, but do you know what God is doing? He has given and promised a bride, a people for his son. We are the people of God, the body of Christ, his, the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. 
God is interested in saving and redeeming a people for himself, a people as his treasured nation. Second, the second great promise is that of blessing. As you read through the book of Genesis, blessing is one of the great themes. In fact, in these couple of verses, the word blessing is used five times alone. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed fundamentally means the objective favor of God. We water down the word blessed in our usage. Oh, I hope Scotty Scheffler wins the U.S. Open today. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Or I hope at General Assembly I get to see my friends. What a blessing that would be. Now, those are blessings, but that's not how blessed is used in the Scripture. Genesis 1.28, we read Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve were created in a blessed condition. We read God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Tremper Longman in his commentary on Genesis says, blessing is shalom, wholeness, harmonious relationship with God, with self, with others, and the world. Life in the Garden of Eden defines what blessing looks like. Adam and Eve at creation had the blessing of God. There was a spiritual, emotional, psychological, and physical aspect to it. It was only the fall that fractured that harmony. God's redemptive work is to restore relationship and blessing with humanity. Notice that blessing is a word from God. He declares you to be blessed. It is a totally enriching life force. In the scriptures, it essentially means having the presence of God and being under the favor of God. It's having God's smile rest upon you. You recognize the words, God with you is the essence of blessing, and it's the heart of the covenant relationship. Scripture expresses the heart of the covenant with these words, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Jesus' given name, Emmanuel, means God with us. Jesus brings blessing to God's covenant people. And the third promise, he says, I will make your name great. The people of Babel sought to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be their own sovereign. God says, I will give you a great name as a gift. He reverses the curse of Babel by saying to Abram, I will make your name great. Now, we need to see the significance of this. Our name is our identity. Scholars on the ancient Near East tell us that in the ancient Near East, a name conferred meaning and a future to be lived up to or lived down. A name marked a person with a set of expectations that determined the person's place in the family and in the world. Abram's, Abram's name means high father or exalted father. Later in the story, his name will be changed to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. 
His name will be changed from just having an individual identity and mission to a more corporate identity and mission. Name indicates identity and mission. There's this place in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, where it promises that we've been given a new name. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Do you recognize that part of your story as a child of God is to discover your new name? To discover what that new name is written on it. Finding your name. Discovering your name means discovering your mission, your calling, what you are meant to do. Which brings us to the final point. Look with me at verse 3. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Chris Wright again says, the affirmation, this promise in Genesis 12, verse 3, is the foundation of the biblical mission, for it declares the mission of God. The creator God's mission is nothing less than to bless the nations of humanity. And the vehicle of that, the channel of that, the bearer of that, was going to be Abraham and his family. Now, who is Abraham's family today? Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Do you see this? We are the children, the offspring, the heirs of Abraham. That means the commission, the mission given to him has been given to us. And that mission, it is in and through us that the community, that God's world, that the nations receive salvation, receive the blessing. So in other words, why the church? The church is here to bring blessing, to bring renewal, healing, and peace for us here at Lake Oconee. See, look at this. Abraham, after being the recipient of blessing, becomes the mediator of blessing to the nations around him. This is so important. Do you not realize that this is teaching us that election? Because God elects Abraham. But he doesn't elect Abraham so Abraham can say, wow, aren't I special? I'm part of the chosen of God. No. Election is for mission. And if we forget that, we have forgotten the story of God and we have forgotten the purpose of God. God's story is always for his people to be the agent of redemption or blessing for the nations. There is both the particular and a universal aspect to it. The particular, Abraham and his descendants, the church. The universal, 
the nations are to be the recipients. In other words, we are here to bless the place where we live. Jeremiah put it this way. Later on, when he was speaking to the exiles in Babylon, he said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You know that gives a job description for us as a church? We are to seek the blessing, the peace and prosperity of Putnam County and Greene County and Morgan County and Eatonton and Greensboro and this Lake Oconee area. Our story, no matter how much it might differ in the particulars, has in it a redemptive focus, a commission to bless others. Chris Wright again says, God's redemptive mission began by creating a community of blessing to be a blessing. Salvation is not a matter of whisking individuals out of the earth and up to heaven. Rather, it would be a long-term project of creating a people for God, initially the descendants of one man, Abraham, but with the intention emphatically built in from the very beginning of becoming a multinational community. The fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise is found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where a great multitude that no one could count, it's reminiscent and alludes back to the story of Abraham when God says, I want you to go out and see and take a look into the skies and count the stars if you could. The fulfillment of this is Revelation 7, where a great multitude from every nation Every tribe, every people, every language are worshiping at the throne of God and the Lamb. Friends, every aspect of our ministry, every aspect of what we do has to have a focus on how do we bring the good news of Christ to others. If it doesn't, we're not being the church. God has created us as a community of blessing. See, we don't do this to earn the blessing of God. We have the blessing of God. The fulfillment of this is Christ. And he's given us his blessing. But as a community of blessing, we are to be a community of blessing to the world around us. That's our missional call. That's what we're called to do. That's what we are to structure our life, build our life, build our prayers around. Joining with God in bringing renewal, healing, and peace to this area. That's our vocation. Everything we do has to have that missional focus. Isn't it that picture in Revelation 7? Can you imagine the time when a people that no one could count from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language is before the throne of God? exalting him, glorifying him, worshiping him. I don't know about you, I can't wait to join that party. That's the picture of the church. That's what we're called to be about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us here in Genesis 12, where you have focused on reversing the curse of chapters 1 through 11 where it finds its fulfillment in the ultimate word, the living and final word, Jesus Christ, 
who would come to ultimately destroy the curse imposed by the fall. Oh, may we cultivate hope and may we be the bearer and the bringer of this good news to Lake Oconee around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction, the blessing of God so that you can go out into the community and be a blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.